Hello and welcome to the MLM.com podcast brought to you by InfoTrack Systems. I'm your host, Kenny Rollins, and for today's episode, we're going to do things a little bit different. This will probably be a two-part episode, and what we're doing is going back and looking at the highlights of all of the podcasts we've done over the past year. Uh, We've pulled out some of our favorite quotes, and we're going to talk a little bit about them and hopefully refresh your memory on some of the great insights that we've had uh, in the short time we've been doing this podcast. Our very first episode was with Spencer Reese, an MLM attorney who brought great insights. And one of the things that he talked about is the the need we have as an industry to compete with other e-commerce platforms, especially Amazon.com. The Amazons of the world are feeding us our lunch. I mean, our our systems of, of uh, you know, our customer service systems and delivery systems, I mean... It takes two, three weeks to get products when Amazon is going to deliver anything we want overnight. Yep. Free of shipping charges. I mean, come on, folks, let's wake up. Yeah. Uh, we got to get we got to get more aggressive and creative, and we got to face those challenges. So, regulatory is a serious issue. The the business concerns are very serious, and and I don't see direct selling responding adequately to the Amazons of the world. A uh, perfect example. I mean, I had. Uh, uh, I had uh, I bought some stuff from a direct seller for Christmas gifts. Yeah. Um, and you know, I, I placed the order. My niece is a distributor for them, and I placed the order through her website. And I, I wanted to send the gifts directly to the recipients and put them on my credit card. Well, they didn't have a ship to address separate from the credit card address. And and so I ultimately I just put my the ship to address in is the credit card address, hoping that it would get there. Well, okay, it did. It got there. There was not an opportunity in the shipping process for me to put a gift card in there, so the recipient knew who it was from. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, and, and and they just show up. You know, there's there's no gift wrapping option, of course. Yeah. Um, and and it's just all of those things, and, and and the the order process was so confusing and confounded. Whereas on Amazon, you go and you buy something. It's really simple. It's streamlined. Anybody can use it. We have to be able to do that kind of thing and face all those kinds of of business uh, challenges, and we're just not doing it. One of the topics that came up over and over again throughout the last year is regulation and compliance. One of our first guests that helped us tackle this topic was Jonathan Gilliam, with Momentum Factor, and I thought he had some very insightful comments on how we as an industry should be tackling problems of fraud and reputation on our own without relying on regulators to come in and tell us how to do this. Yeah, I think that, uh, you know, this all, all of the compliance and the reputational and the risk areas of direct selling can be solved by us, can be solved by the channel itself. We don't need regulators itself to do it. We can do it. And, um, you know, that's, that's the struggle that we're in now is that we have regulators, regulators fencing us in and telling us, you know, from their perspective what we should be doing. And that really limits our ability to do the great work that we do uh, when outsiders who don't understand our channel come in and tell us how to do it. We understand it. And so I think it's just really incumbent upon us, upon the associations, uh, upon the corporate entities to really, you know, put their money where their mouth is and really uh, fight to retain the, the, the great work that we do in this channel. It's, I, I, you know, again, I think right now is a, is a, is a critical moment 
which you know we haven't seen in, in the lifetime of this firm, and most of us haven't seen since the seventies. And so um, I think now is the time for people to really uh, understand what they need to do to keep the channel safe, and that's watching our field and responding and making sure that what we do that is always going to be public now that we're all online is um, is of an honorable and honest nature and, and it uh, appeals to the greater good. Of course, as a host, I occasionally do uh, chime in on the different topics that we discuss. And so here's a quote from myself talking about the value of uh, the MLM space and the power of personal recommendations and buying things from people you know in an era where credibility uh, has taken such a hit at a corporate level. Well, and in talking about disruptive technologies that, that then kind of work for, um, for the industry, you know, we live in an era where just in the last six months, you know, fake news has become such a buzzword. And really what's underneath the fake news is not whether it's fake news or not fake news. It's the distrust of what we hear because with the Internet, you can saturate people with seeds of doubt. And, and more and more, I think we're going to see a return to um, the value of a personal recommendation. Right. Uh, because people can manipulate ratings online. I mean, it used to be that, yeah, you, you very much trusted the, the mass of people who rate a product or don't rate a product. But I think, you know, people are more and more worried about the quality of the products they're using, especially when it comes to things that their family are using. And so much of the MLM space is health and wellness, right? Um, and, and that personal recommendation is going to go further and further I think right. with people. Again, talking about regulation, here's Mark Rollins talking about the importance of distinguishing between customers and distributors. This is something that the FTC uh, has been very, very active on in, say, in wanting to make sure that uh, people with, that are pursuing an income opportunity are treated as, as business people and that we distinguish them from people who are specifically getting in the space uh, to buy product. The reality is I have never seen a company where more than 40% of the people sponsored anyone. So in all of the companies I've ever seen that were had success of any sort, 60% of the people sponsored no one. So those people are by definition customers. The problem is, is because we sign them up as distributors, the FTC in the VEMA case came down very clearly. If you're going to sign them up as distributors, then they're distributors. They're not... Because we tend to say, well, they're customers, they're buying the product. The FTC says, no, they are, failed, they are failed distributors if they don't make any money. So we do have to change our business practices. So we bring people in who are going to just buy the product at wholesale, and we bring them in, and we call them customers. That's what they are. Uh, and then we make it an easy transition if they decide they want to start referring a few friends and become a distributor, then we have a transition process. It doesn't have to be an onerous process, but we do need them to pop up a page and say, hey, I'm converting to a distributor. Uh, you know, 
They sign it and off they go. Hopefully all of you remember our episode with Lynn Bardowski where we talked about online parties and different tools and ways to sell. Here's Lynn talking about how online parties will become the way of the future. But there are definitely some great tools out there for partying online. One of my favorites, um, of course, Facebook Live is an awesome tool for online parties because nothing builds that like no interest factor faster than live streaming. And uh, that's not going away anytime soon. Video content is, uh, we're just going to be seeing more and more of it. And Facebook has already said that they're already seeing that within the next two years, the news feed will be predominantly video. So it's not a matter of when or if or should I, it's pretty much happening and it's, it's happening now. Another guest we had on was Moy Chambers. Moy has extensive background in the IT space and, and talked about the importance of user experience and of a corporate uh, company crafting a user experience that fit with them and their culture. Where we're headed is we want to be in control of the user experience. And if that user experience needs to tie in with our product line, we'll tie certain experiences into certain product lines. We'll market them that way. It's always nice to have an engine on the back end that, you know, um, I've written commission programs before. <laughs> I've written them in several languages. They're not fun to write and they're not fun to maintain. Um, you might think so because you've had a lot of experience in commission engines, but um, it's nice to be able to have these sophisticated systems on the back end that you can just interface with. And I always tell everybody in our industry that people don't understand, you know, we'll get financial uh, people come in and say, oh, we can hook in, you know, whether it be AX or Great Plains or um, JD Edwards or SAP. But what makes these systems, especially in direct selling, really complicated is that you have a point of sale system that just runs out there and takes all these orders on the internet. And really you have this genealogy system. I'd say it's like an ancestry.com. So you take an e-commerce and the ancestry.com and you shove the two systems together and they got to be right 100% of the time, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And, you know, because the orders flow up the tree, you know, you got your group volume, you got all your other stuff. And, you know, I don't want to have to worry about that stuff. I don't want to worry about the trees. I don't have to worry about the commissions. I just want to say I want to give my users the best user experience. Here's a clip from Jared Smith, one of my coworkers here at InfoTrack Systems, talking about how software development is done and how companies should look at the feature sets that they're trying uh, to enact and how they will compete in the marketplace. I've always liked these three buckets that Gartner has built to push their functionality to. And the three buckets that they have out there, they call their system of record, system of differentiation, and system of innovation. And so when I look to build software, I ask myself, does this particular functionality fit in one of those three buckets? How that applies for R&D also applies for companies asking themselves whether I build it myself or whether I go to a third party. And I'll explain the differences between those three buckets. And your system of record is the thing that everyone does. 
that's the same across the board. If I have a shopping cart, I have to be able to add items to that shopping cart. That's something that everyone does. Everyone expects a shopping cart to be able to do that. Everyone expects a shopping cart to be able to calculate taxes, to be able to calculate freight, be able to accept a credit card, check out. That functionality is the same across the board. There's nothing special about that. There's nothing that's going to give you a, a competitive advantage over your competitor being able to have a shopping cart that accepts a credit card. That's a system of record, and everyone accepts that a shopping cart does that. The system of differentiation is the thing that gives you that competitive advantage, that thing that you do better than your competitor does. Uh, sticking with the shopping cart analogy, for example, Amazon, they're one click buy now. You can hit that and buy the product and have it shipped to you. That's something that they do, they have a patent on. Uh, they do that better than anyone else. That gives them a competitive advantage. That is a system of differentiation functionality that they have. Another example would be the ability to buy a book on Kindle and have that immediately sent to your Kindle. That's something that's unique to them, that they do well, that's different than anyone else in the industry. That's a system of differentiation item that they have. And then, of course, the system of innovation, that's something that I specialize in being in R&D. That's the thing that does not exist yet, that no one has even thought of. Uh, that is something that you build. So you come up with the idea, you're not quite sure how it looks, you start uh, going into the agile process of going into sprints and working and failing fast and coming up with this new product until finally you discover what that is and it's brand new and no one else has it and it's, and you release it and it gives you this huge advantage, of course, that's the system of innovation type functionality. And so when you're sitting down if I was sitting down as the head of a, of a MLM business and I said, okay, in order for me to be successful in my business, the first thing I need is a shopping cart. I'm not going to build that myself. There are lots of shopping carts out there that do everything that I need. That's a system of record. To me, that's no-brainer. Integrate. One of my favorite topics that we address here on the MLM.com podcast is the benefits of the MLM space uh, and the, the important things that it can, can bring uh, that other channels of distribution don't bring. Here's Gretchen from Trades of Hope talking about uh, how direct sales is uniquely suited to, to both provide uh, great products great income, but also help to address social causes? Well, you know, I, we just had a big event in Nashville, um, our annual event. And one of the talks that I gave there was just um, basically how we are completely head over heels in love with the industry itself. You know, we were in love with Trades of Hope for a long time, but the more we've learned in the journey that we've been on and the more people that we have come into contact with, um, it's just shown what a what a supportive, positive environment that the industry is all on it on its own. Really, um, we went to DSA for the first time, thinking that it would be you know kind of cutthroat and competitive, and everyone was open and friendly and supportive, and CEOs go out of their way to support other CEOs, and it just is an amazing family loving environment actually. Um, within Trades of Hope, 
I'm just so blown away. We we really didn't anticipate or even really get to think about the power of the sisterhood. Our culture within Trades of Hope is um, very uplifting and positive and celebratory. I mean, where else in the world can you go start your own business and you get all of that, right? Most of the time, you're kind of like an island. But um, the sisterhood and seeing 500 compassionate entrepreneurs last weekend come together. And for one thing, it's like a big family reunion. But then they're just so supportive of helping each other build their businesses in practical and just emotionally supportive ways as well. And yeah, I just don't know where else in the world you would get something so powerful. Well, much of the regulation and the talk uh, today in the industry is about uh, differentiating customers and products from sales opportunity and entrepreneurship and putting more emphasis on the products uh, and, and the customers, which, which we fully support. Uh, we do have to remember that, that this still is a channel that provides people an entrepreneurship opportunity. And we are giving people a mechanism to create livelihoods for themselves. Here's Steve Hooper talking about the responsibility that MLM companies have as they are giving people that opportunity. Again, we sell product, but we also market you know, a hope, a dream of someone having a home-based business. And there are things that, you know, so in, in some ways you could say we're dream merchants or some of the companies are because that's, you know, they're, they're showing people what they can do. But that's where we've got to be careful because we have to be good stewards over those dreams. It's, we're too casual. We throw out terms that it's simple. It's easy. It's not easy to make $500 a month. You know, it, it, we, we can say it is. But you know, these are people going out and they're working in their warm market, they're out on social media, they're doing things trying to create this. So we need to do everything that's within our power to support them. And we need to create loyalty architectures and show them, you know, why they're associated with as a company. That does it for part one of our Year in Review podcast. I hope that these quotes have been helpful and thought-provoking. I'd like to thank all of the guests who have been on over the past year and have brought their expertise and insight. I'm your host, Kenny Rollins, and of course, we're always grateful for production support from Janet Bangeter and Adam Holdaway. Join us again next week to hear the rest of our year review podcast.